Miriam Sternlicht is a media composer who's actually fairly new to the game, but I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode, as I'm sure many of you listening are in a very similar boat to Miriam. If you recognise her name, that might be down to her excellent work as an administrator for the Global Composers Network, and we're actually going to chat a little bit about that work and how being involved in groups like that can be so beneficial to you as a composer. We're also going to talk about how one masterclass, Hans Zimmer's to be precise, totally changed the direction of Miriam's life. Welcome to the Soundtrack.Academy podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Amandri, and each week I interview a member of the film, TV, game, or media music industry. My aim is to help as many people as possible to learn the ins and outs of composing and producing for moving image. For links, show notes, and previous guests, head over to soundtrack.academy slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening from and also leave me a review. Hi, Miriam. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So can we begin in your words with who you are and what it is that you do? Um, I'm Marianne Steinlicht. Um, I call myself a media composer, um, even though it still sounds funny. Um, I, I still have to get over that pretentious phase where, you know, somebody asks me what I do and I say I'm a composer, but that is what I do. I would say that other than writing music for uh, production libraries, um, which is my sole focus right now, um, I have a, a slightly different role as well in the composer community, um, which is to manage a large group of composers. So um, I, I run um, the Global Composers Network with a few other people. And um, my role there has been just to manage a large community of, of about 7,000 composers now. Um, and I do a bit of PR work for them as well, which means we invite uh, industry professionals to come and talk about their most recent work and their, their process um, throughout their career so far. And um, so, yeah, that's been that's been kind of a full time job as well as the the production music, um, which is gaining some momentum now as well, which is which is really exciting. Great. Cool. So, yeah, lots of things I'd, I'd love to talk about in this episode, including the Global Composer Network group and the sort of experiences you've had through that and how you've come, come to grow that as well. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. Sure. So alongside the production music, are you also... Uh, working on um, custom film work, things like that as well? I haven't yet dipped my toe in that pool. Um, I Simply because I don't feel confident enough, um, I, haven't, I haven't even written to picture, like even for practice. It's something that I'm a little bit daunted by, excited for that opportunity to come about, don't get me wrong. Um, but I feel that with production music, I get to flex my muscles quite a bit. So it means um, learning lots of different styles, um, understanding how important it is to be able to have a variation on a theme and how to cut tracks to a specific length. Um, that's, those are all things that are going to come so much in handy when the time comes to take that leap. So I haven't yet gone down that road, no, in short. And But you're also... I mean, you said that running the community feels like a full-time job and obviously writing production music can be a, a full-time job. But then also, am I right in understanding you're studying law at the moment too? So um, the law thing is actually interesting. I was about to start a law degree when the Hans Zimmer Masterclass came along. And <laughs> my other half at the time 
was not very excited about the law degree. He um, he preferred that I put my focus on something that would, I suppose, keep me at home a little bit more, like be around for the for the kids. I have three children, um, all boys. And um, I think he thought that my attention would be very much in the house if I could find a job where I didn't have to bury my head in studies or go out to go out to school. Um, and he came, it came as a bit of a nasty shock, I think, when the music came along and the Hans, the Hans and the Masterclass sort of just threw me into the arena and I just went for it. And the truth is when you're passionate about something, you're going to give it your all regardless of whether you're in the home or out the home. So it wasn't really, um, it didn't really make a difference. Um, so I did put the law thing, the law degree on the back burner and I totally did not consider coming back to it until very, very recently. And I will probably give it my all now. I mean, it's it's very tough because some, something, you know, suddenly comes along like yesterday I got invited to write for a different library. And then you suddenly question everything again. Am I crazy? Should I do this? But I'm very, I'm a big believer in having a backup plan. I know it sounds like, ugh, gives you a chance to be complacent with the music. But on the other hand, what if the music doesn't work out? Is that a blasphemous thing to say? But, you know, I, I came at it at 31 years old. So I feel like I have to also be a little bit sensible. So I have been keeping an open mind, um, I guess, keeping a few irons in, in the fire. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes. It's, 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 again, it's another thing that if it doesn't work out, that's, that's just the way, it, you know, it, one of my lessons for me, at least, is just to have something to fall back on if, if possible. And Great. that was my passion before music decided to take me, um, <laughs> with, you know, with all its forces. And so I will see it again. It's very unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. I can totally relate, particularly to that idea of not really knowing which direction to focus on and, and, and things like that. But it sounds like you're juggling a lot of different things at the moment then. Well, well, I'll tell you what it is as well, is that it's when you're tied down in terms of relationship. I don't want to get too personal here, but when you're tied down and then suddenly you're free of it, there's so many which ways you can go and you want to do everything and you want to achieve your great things in all different directions. And it's like, it's deciding, it's deciding which one is, is, is calling you the most, I think, and, and hopefully settling on that and just giving it 100%. How did you first become involved in music? So as a child, I was always singing. That was my first... You know, that was when my parents first realized I, you know, I could carry a tune and I used to be very, very involved in the school choirs. But in terms of actually playing an instrument, um, it was never really encouraged at home, except eventually my brother got, my older brother got a keyboard, like one of those typical Yamaha keyboards with all the presets and, you know, and I used to watch him just simply playing with the left hand, like a three, a three fingered chord and... I learned from him how to do the very, very basics. And then eventually I decided to play on my own. By the way, I think it's probably important to note that I don't have a formal education. I play by ear everything, which to some people is such a surprise. Uh, <laughs> but that's why my process is very, very unusual to some. Um, and I watched him play um, and I developed my own, you know, I used to just do a, a three chord uh, song and the, and the melody in the right hand. And I think it was when I was about 15 or 16, when I got really tired of it, I was just like, I'm not 
I'm not going anywhere with this. It's, it's, it's dull. It's just literally just getting the chords with the three fingers and playing a very simple tune in the right hand. So um, I had a friend who was also my choir. She was like the, the head of my choir that I used to be a part of, uh, a London girls choir. And um, she was also an absolute expert on the piano and she actually gave lessons so I went to her for two or three months and she just taught me how to spread my hands around the piano. So I was learning how to arpeggiate and how to do my scales. And um, she taught me chord inversions and I took it from there. So um, that was how I got into playing instruments to begin with. But actual film scoring and doing like compositional work it didn't occur to me that I could do it on a professional level until I had taken Hans Zimmer's masterclass, which was when I was 31. So only two years ago. Wow. Yes. I mean, I had been writ- writing little things of my own, like on the piano, like little songs with lyrics, nothing that I, it, it had just absolutely never occurred to me that I could actually sit at a computer and orchestrate an entire, you know, a, a whole concept behind my words or my, or my ideas. And and it's weird because I had been listening to film scores since I was about 13, 14. I don't know why it doesn't occur to me. Maybe I thought it was too out of my reach or maybe I didn't realize that there was an in-between from being a, a total newbie to being a, a full-time, very experienced film composer. I think I didn't realize that there was a middle ground. And I think that's where the, the dots were connected when I took Hans Zimmer's masterclass and he kind of filled in that space and like any kid with a, with an iPad in a garage in the Bronx can, <laughs> can do that, can, can do this. So it was quite an eye opener for me. Amazing. So in that, so essentially two years ago, you'd never scored anything inside a digital audio workstation or anything before you've had that learning curve all in, all in the space of two years. And now you're actually getting placements with your production music already. I haven't yet got my first placement, but my fa- my first track was approved two weeks, gotcha. three weeks ago. So yeah. I mean, still. So yes, and you know what? I'm a full time mother as well. So it's yeah. actually, actually, when you say it out loud, it's it's quite an achievement. I'm actually very proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, yeah. <laughs> I have to remind myself now and again because it's so competitive, and it was the last thing I was expecting for there to be this huge community of people so desperate for a position. I was fr- I was frightened at the beginning. I thought there's there's no way this is going to happen, but people notice, and 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 I don't know if it's also maybe this is a, I don't want to say a controversial thing to say, but it's it's not just about talent. You know, they say that it's important to network and it's important to be to be kind and friendly to people and just and just do the networking the right way, and people are going to remember that. And sometimes I think Mike Verita says it like it's even more important than the talent is just to try to be a decent person and you'll find yourself work. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like to believe that maybe it's, it's something to do with it. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so how did you actually go about learning the tech side of stuff? Cause obviously you, you learned stuff on the, on the piano. So you already had creative ability, but how, what about the actual tech side of stuff when you first sat down and try and work that out? So, um, I'm not terribly computer illiterate, but a door or a DAW, let's call it, um, it was a different ball game. It was the first time I had ever worked inside such a piece of software. Um, and my first, my first DAW was um, Mixcraft. I bought something cheap when I started the masterclass 
just to see if it was even, if it even sang to me, you know? Um, now when I joined, um, the community, the masterclass community, the forums, there were some groups going where there would be kind of nightly, um, sessions where you were given half an hour or an hour to come up with, um, a, a, a piece of music based on a certain theme or, you know, a, let's say a piece of artwork or something. And you had to commit to it. And if you committed to the hour or the half an hour in that room to do that work, you just, you had to have something to show for it afterwards. And I got involved in that as much as I possibly could. And it forced me, it forced me to learn quite fast. And if there's one thing I'll ever be grateful um, for that particular community uh, is for just throwing me in the deep end and giving me no choice. Because if I, I'm, I happen to be very competitive as well. So <laughs> I, yeah, I am quite competitive by nature. It's not such a good thing always. Um, but I wanted to show that, you know, I wanted a, well, first of all, I wanted some validation. And also, um, it was such a competitive environment. And there were people that were light years ahead of me. It was so distressing. But I went for it as, as much as I could. And I, I definitely owe them a debt of gratitude because it made things so much easier later when I moved to, to Ableton and then eventually when I switched over to Cubase, it was just smooth sailing. There's loads to learn. Oh my goodness. I, I haven't even scratched the surface, but it's not so daunting anymore. That's great. So it was just figuring out as you went along, Googling things, YouTube, things like that. I'm not so great with YouTube tutorials, to be honest. I like to be in a classroom setting, um, but like for the quick thing here or there, and also, you know, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook composer group, um, forum style, you know, the, the groups, like the ones that we all know about, <laughs> those, are, those are really good for a quick piece of advice. Um, something like virtual orchestration or, or, mm-hmm. or those. Um, I, have, I have made use of those now and again. Um, but I find watching on a screen difficult. I like to see things in writing. Sometimes even when I, when I do f- decide to watch a tutorial online, I have to write it out in my own handwriting because it just, I don't know, I guess I absorb it better when I see something familiar. Um, but they are helpful. And I know that a lot of people have been helped greatly by such um, resources. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the groups that you're, um, I mean, you're, you're obviously, you're a member of a lot of these, these groups that you're also a moderator for a few groups and the global composer network is, is your main, is your main group. Uh, sorry. Have you been involved with that since the start? No, I was a member. I wasn't even a member close to the beginning. I think I got involved as a member um, six to eight months in. Um, and I don't, I don't know exactly why I was asked to come on board the team and I don't want to make any presumptions. Um, but eventually they did ask if I would be interested in a, an administrative role well, it actually started off as a, as a PR and management and outreach kind of role. Um, and my duties were to, like I said earlier, to try and get industry professionals. But by industry professionals, I mean they wanted the big timers, I think. And the first interview I got was, was with Benjamin Valfish, as it happens, who's now doing absolutely amazing things. Um, and then it went up from there. And then eventually... When it became apparent to the team who was running Global Composers Network at the time 
that I was not in the team chat and I didn't have an official role in the group, they decided to make me an administrator, um, which became, which is when it became a bit more uh, full time, I suppose, because you'd be surprised there are people who just want you to hear them for a minute to have a little chat. They want some guidance. Um, they, it's funny. They think because you do the PR job, they think you have all the top connections, which let me think <laughs> is not true. Um, so they come and they ask you to try and connect them. And, and, to, and, and I do try to give as much time as possible to every person that asks. Um, I actually have a really bad time with time management, so I can totally lose myself in, in not prioritizing things the way they should be. So like my kids will be screaming for me and I'll, and I'll be answering some, some person from Timbuktu, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, something about his next step. And it's just, I have to learn, it's something I have to learn to manage my time a lot better. But it's rewarding because with it comes, it does come with certain amount of connections, um, you know, that could be helpful somewhere down the line. And then, I'm sorry, you were talking about the groups in general. And VO, virtual orchestration, I just moderate there, um, which doesn't require a lot of effort. It means that I will approve or decline members. And if somebody flags a post that's not appropriate, then I'll deal with it. The only big job that came with VO, and it hasn't happened yet again, was when we got when we put on that big competition, which yeah. was which was quite, yeah, it took a, it took a lot of effort to go through all those submissions and then eventually pick a winner, Mm -hmm. but that was fun. And what kind of benefits do you see as being, firstly being just involved as a member of these groups and then also being on the, the administrative side of these groups, obviously you put a lot of work into this. Like you said, it is, it can, it can become a full-time job at times. What kind of benefits do you see as as being that heavily involved in these groups? In terms of being a musician and a composer, I'm not. There aren't a huge amount of benefits in terms of social benefits and how uh, to develop people's skills. It's 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 been amazing. Um, I mean, first of all, working as part of a small team is um, is something everybody should learn to do. Um, and, um, and it's not always easy. It's not always uh, a bed of roses, you know, tensions flare up. It's normal. We're all different people from different parts of the world with different cultures. Um, but we always come out stronger for it after, if there's ever a hiccup somewhere. And in terms of the community, um, I think you learn a lot about yourself from, from being put in such a position because, well, for starters, you learn, uh, you learn how to be patient with people that don't behave the way they really should do, according to society's um, idea of good behavior. Um, <laughs> but you know what, in, in, a, in a, a kind of a, a positive but negative kind of uh, point of view, it also teaches you who and what kind of behavior and you don't want to work with. Um, so I've had many occasions where I've been, let's say, mistreated as, as let's say, a uh, PR manager or just as a person. And I'll be like, well, you know what? That's exactly what I'm not going to want in the future. And you don't always know that until it happens. Yeah. So that's a really good radar. Um, but I think depending on the person running such a group, you can really unite people if you have the right attitude. Um, and I like to believe that that is something I inject in my communications with, with everyone in the Global Composers Network. There's always um, a little bit of humor 
um, a little bit of um, sensitivity and just important lessons I've learned were like, you know, don't, don't post a post and then don't engage and then not engage with the people who comment. Always engage, keep, keep the threads alive, but, you know, make a joke here and there and, and keep, keep it stress-free where possible. I mean, I, as a, as a rule in Global Composers Network, we do weed out any kind of negative behavior. I know some people say, oh, it's just the way it is. That's how forums are. You know, you just have to accept it. No. We don't have to accept it. As rule, as admins and moderators, we can remove uh, negative vibes from from the forum just to keep it a nice and peaceful place, and it's worked in our favor completely. So, I suppose those are a few lessons that I've learned. I hope I'm not rambling. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. And I'll um, I'll link out to the Global Composers Network in the in the show notes because it is there's there's a lot of composer communities on Facebook, but GCN is one of the the good ones, one of the really good ones, possibly possibly the best one, because it is really well moderated and it's really, it is a really nice environment in there. Well, I'll, I'll say then as well, since, you know, since we're talking about lessons to be learned, um, I think that for the members as well, they are, they have the chance, if they want to, to contribute to the network. And I think that's a very, very important part of community rules. Um, if you want to keep the, the community alive, you need to let the members themselves take care of it. And I've and I've learned. I actually learned that lesson from a, a lovely film I watched when it came out years ago called Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got a score by Dario Marianelli, who's one of my favorites. <laughs> and at the end, Ewan McGregor, who plays one of the main characters, he said, "That's how we're going to keep this fishing industry alive in the Yemen is if we allow the community to get involved because it's suddenly their baby. It's not just run by some." hoity-toity person, you know, that we have no access to. When you allow the community to get involved, to have their word, to speak, to contribute to the, to the YouTube channel or something, even something small, they feel, I've had a part, I've had a role in shaping this community and it suddenly becomes a little piece of them as well. So I think that's important as well to remember. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Johnny here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I'll keep this short so that we can get back to our guest as soon as possible, but there is one thing that you can do to really help me out with this podcast, and that is to tell a friend about it. There's so much to gain from the guests that I have on the show, and I'd love as many people as possible to be able to learn from their experiences. As you might have noticed, the show isn't sponsored in any way, so I really need your help to spread the word. So whatever you're doing right now, just pause the episode, think of someone you know that would enjoy the show, and send them the link. Thank you so much. And now let's get back to our guest. Okay, moving a little bit onto your music now, Mm -hmm. to your production music. When you decided that you were going to have a go at uh, creating production music and see if you could bring a living from that, what's the first thing you did? Where did you start? Honestly... It's not a very exciting story. I thought I'm going to take a risk. And I didn't think I was particularly ready. But, you know, then again, I thought maybe I'm just suffering from the dreaded imposter syndrome where nobody thinks their work is good enough. And if they do, they they uh, they attribute it to, you know, all sorts of extenuating circumstances. I actually, But I believe, truly, I did not believe I was ready. I thought I'm winging it. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here. And I was pleasantly surprised. So... I mean, 
Was there a first step? Yes, there was a first step in that a lot of my friends were getting accepted into Velvet Green Music, who, which is um, run, I think, and directed by uh, Michael John Mollow, who was already heavily involved in GCN with regards to contests and just as a member. And I thought, I, I, I need to give this a go. I mean, how am I going to know where I'm holding if I don't take some risks? And he accepted me, and I was absolutely delighted. This was in November 2018, so... Again, not very long ago, less than a year ago. And um, that was my first shot in the dark. And I was, you know, it paid, as in it paid back. I, I you know, he took me on. And now I just read briefs and, and, and write when I have the free time. Great. So you reached out directly to Michael. I mean, I did the necessary procedures that one has to in order to uh, <laughs> apply to apply to a library. Of course, I, I went through the right channels. I I, I submitted a, a playlist of five of my my best tracks, and once he had considered them, he I think it didn't take very long. I think a day or two later, he replied with with good news, and and I I signed up straight away with a. It was also signing up with my first PRO, and uh, I got writing. And how did you navigate the whole PRO thing and knowing what the what the right steps were for getting yourself registered and getting all of your the business side of stuff set up as well? I have to admit it was a little bit daunting. Um, it's very difficult when half the people, well, actually all the people that you know, all the composers you know are living nowhere near you and you can't actually get some good solid advice, like sit together over a table. And But Michael was, was Michael's instructions were pretty straightforward um and i got it done it was it was a lot to read and um i did have to clarify a few things um and then i had a name change somewhere down the line so you know i had to start dredging up old papers and 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 doing it over again but i remember the day when i when i got my official acceptance into prs and it was just <sighs> it was like everything settled and I could start earning royalties and it was, it was, yeah, it was cause for celebration, although I didn't celebrate, but I should have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, just the relief of having all that set up is just, is great. Well, yeah, but it's also the steps, you know, and every time you make a step and it gets done and, and the next step's completed and the next step, you're just one step closer to that dream. And it, yeah. it happens so gradually as well that when the big dream gets when the big dream comes along, it's not even a big dream anymore. It's just the next step. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly you turn around like a few years late, a few years down the line, and you're like, when did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because when I had Edith Mudge on the show, um, she works full time as a as a as a writer for um for a production company. Mm-hmm. And she said in the morning she journals and just one of the things she asks herself is, imagine 16, 16 year old version of you thinking of what you're doing now and how cool that is, how amazing it is. Yeah. You're right, you lose, you lose track of the progress you've made, all those little steps you make. It is crazy as well when you also make contacts in the industry as well. People that you've admired for years um, and then you, you, you scroll through your friends list or you just think about what's going on on Facebook and you're like, two years ago I was idolizing this person and now we've chatted on Facebook. I mean, it's surreal. It is a bit surreal, but then again, they're just, pe- I mean, not just people, they're exceptional people, but they're also humans. And it's become a lot less daunting. It has become a lot less daunting to realise that they just have normal lives, like we all do, you know. Yeah. 
I might, think diff- I might think differently if I was placed in the same room as John Williams. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving a bit on to your process of composing then. You mentioned sure. earlier that you, you probably have a slightly different process to a lot of people just due to how you've learned and how you put things together. So what is your process? process. Um, well, I'm going to answer that question and then I'm going to tell you something that happened with regards to my process. Okay. Um, I... I'm quite, I suppose you can call me not spontaneous. Um, There are no rules. I'm quite flexible, let's say. So it's kind of just whatever comes to mind. So let's say my keyboard is just there. And I tend to, obviously I have a template now. I didn't always have a template. Um, But I use the same template again and again because I I do tend to write the same kind of music um, so far, all the time. And... I just do a piano sketch. Now I improvise. It's all improvised because that's just the way I play. I don't. I, I don't read music. I don't. I. I don't understand any of the theory, which is not something to be proud of necessarily. But it's also just another method. Um, and I will stick on a a metronome and I will play something in, usually either on a on a simple time signature, like a three, three by four or four, four, four signature. And I'll, something will come out and then I'll say, okay, I like this. Let's build around it. And I usually start with strings. Um, I, and I build around it with, with, I'm terrible with percussion. It's not, it's not a, ma- a major part of my process yet, but I'm hoping it will be soon. Um, woodwind and I add some brass if necessary. But um I do try to mix it up a bit like I decided a few days ago to try and just write a melody with a woodwind instrument, like a flute or something, and then actually built something nice around that. And that works too. But it's really funny because the other day somebody was talking about um, the book, The Study of Orchestration by Samuel Adler mm-hmm. in one of the big orchestration online groups, you know, that big group. Yeah. And he said that he was a bit underwhelmed by the book. And I said, I've had... Like I felt similarly because I, I got it as a birthday present and it was filled with excerpts and excerpts of sheet music that, <laughs> I, that I could not understand. And, you know, when you spend that kind of money on a book or when someone else, you know, when you're lucky enough to get it as a present, you kind of want to understand what you're reading. So, they, so somebody said to me, if you don't understand that and you don't, like you have no idea the rules of orchestration, how... Do you, what's your, like, how, how's that possible? How do you write music? And I had to explain that I, I, I play what comes inside my head or where my fingers take me along the keyboard. And, and it, it kind of caused a bit of a spark there. And I, I couldn't figure out whether it was a spark of being mad at me that I hadn't gotten a formal education or that they wished that they could do the same because people were putting sad emojis. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could shed some light because I really was confused. I said, if this works for me, I have every intention of learning to read music and, and understanding the rules of orchestration better for sure. But this is working for me so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick with it. And I'm saying until I become a, you know, a concert master or, 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 or have to conduct an orchestra or really, really want to understand the nuances of a piece of, of music when it comes to recording something live at a, you know, a proper big studio, I'm comfortable with the way I work. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, I don't know. I, it, it makes me wonder, what am I missing out on? It is interesting. I mean, there's lots of lots of examples of composers that, that can't read music. I mean, obviously, Christian Henson talks about that quite a lot. And yes. even, even Hans Zimmer. Um, I had Michael Christian on the show a, a while back, and he was talking about this big uh, or orchestration sort of masterclass that he, he went to and they asked him to teach about the trailer music he was creating mm-hmm. or sort of give a presentation on it, which is all orchestral. And he was terrified because he was in front of these absolute masters, but they, they were, they had no idea how he did what he did with his trailer music as well, even though he doesn't read music either. Yeah. I actually remember what outraged them suddenly. Um, it was not the fact that I didn't understand the rules and, and wasn't able to read music. It was when I told them, the people who were following this thread, when I told them that I play everything in by hand on my keyboards, um, my controller, they were like, what? You don't program anything in with a mouse and, a, 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 and you know, on the, on the, in the DAW? I said, no. And when I get comments now and again from people that say, for example, my music has got a very strong sense of emotion, I attribute it to that always, every time. Yeah. I'm not special. I'm just... I feel that it comes from it comes from the body. It can't be explained. I can't, you can't get the same effect from a, from clicking a mouse. I mean, you maybe you can, but I feel it's necessary, <laughs> at least for me, to convey what I want to convey. It has to be done like as an extension of me. You know, mm-hmm. it is really interesting that, that those two such conflicting approaches to it. Like you say, you for you, it has to be played in. It has to be. That emotion can only be captured by playing in, but like you say, for others, it's clicking it in, programming it, and then tweaking it with automation to get that emotion. It's I can't even listen to you saying it. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, when I start to write trailer music and epic music, and if I have constant ostinatos and things like this, I'll probably adopt a similar method because you have to for convenience sake. Yeah. But when you want to just write a beautiful, dramatic, uh, melodious piano tune with some cello and strings, I mean, you have to play it in by hand. I'm sorry, there's no alternative. <laughs> That's the rule. <laughs> we'll tell everybody. Okay. <laughs> Great. And finally, what kind of, um, what, what equipment are you using? You mentioned that you're using Cubase. Are you purely in the box? And if so, what kind of sample libraries are you using? Oh, so purely using, uh, you, you don't have any outboard gear, like um, outboard compressors or oh. outboard synths or anything like that? <laughs> no, nothing like that yet. Um, I haven't even ventured down that route. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I'm using Cubase, but I'm also proficient in Ableton because that's what I started off with um, mm-hmm. once I got into it professionally. Um, I I was... I was encouraged to have a computer built for the for this uh, production process great. Uh, for music production. So that's been, well, it's been great, but now we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're computerless at the moment. It's, it's decided to quit on me for now. But I don't think that's by any means my uh, manufacturer's fault. I think that I moved recently and I think it may have taken a knock. Um, other than that, I use, interestingly, and and. Yeah, I use a lot of East-West products. I'm I'm subscribed to their cloud. Okay. And and it's so funny to me because every time I use East-West basically in in all my in all my um tracks. 
And I'm always getting complimented on the strings. And so many people give East-West unnecessary slack. I don't know why. <laughs> and every time they ask, I say, well, guess what? It's East-West. And they're, yeah. always, they're always shocked. I think that's also where I think that the playing in by hand comes into question. Because I think yeah. if you're going to draw that in, you're not going to have the same effect as you would if you played it in on a MIDI controller. Um, so that's I use mostly that, East-West, and I use a lot of... Um, the libraries from the Complete 11, which I bought when I started. Native Instruments. Native Instruments, correct. And some Spitfire. I haven't yet ventured into the really pro stuff like orchestral tools, though I have some of that stuff on my list when the time comes. Um, I did get Omlisphere a few weeks ago. That's been a fun adventure. <laughs> Um, How is it running on your system? I've heard some people have, have been having some problems with it crashing their system recently. So Omnisphere hasn't had a problem on my system, but when I when I sent my computer in to be repaired just now, I did ask them to upgrade my RAM. So I'm hoping okay. it will be even smoother now. Great. Um, and other than that, no, just, you know, a pair of good monitors, um, Yamaha HS7s. They've been very faithful to me so far and a good uh, a good audio interface from, from Focusrite. A, a decent mic and, and Bob's your uncle. Great. So that's a, that is a really lovely setup for, you know, not even to get started. You can run a pro setup with that. It's just a nice, simple, stripped down setup. Well, you know what? I, I had been up until now playing, using my MIDI controller on a stand on sort of the right side of me. So I wasn't, yeah. it was not on a desk. And when my computer went in for repairs, I decided that I have to have my, my keyboard on a desk now um, because I feel like it's going to completely change my workflow. Yeah. I haven't yet been able to experiment because I don't have my computer back. But what I did was, and I'm really proud of myself for doing this, I bought myself a desk mount, to a double desk mount to, to mount my monitors, my uh, screens. So I have my two screens up above my desk now, my controller basically underneath it, but enough with enough space, you know, close enough to me that I can play it. Mm-hmm. And then my regular typing keyboard in front. So it's like the typical decent setup now. And I feel very proud when I walk into my room and it's just all compact and neat and no more stands that everybody can trip over. And <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, 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 ah, it's just a, it's a good room to come into. It's, it's my happy place. Nice. Yeah. And then, as you know, I always end the show with one final piece of advice. What would your one piece of advice be to someone who's, I guess, kind of just at the stage behind you in their careers where they're they're composing and they can put tracks together, but they've not yet taken that leap to actually put their music out there or contact some libraries or anything like that? What would be a one piece of advice to them? Well, initially, when I thought about this question, um, I was going to say that you should that everyone should keep an open mind because sometimes dreams don't always pan out. But I don't want to put I don't, I don't want to end on a sour note. If you'll excuse the pun, um, <laughs> but that's just my method. I felt I had to have a backup. But I the thing that spoke to me that always is the most important rule for me in every aspect of my life, um, including this, obviously, is to trust your instincts. And you can have people, because everybody knows, I mean, music is is so um, subjective. And not even with regards to music per se, but even about making certain choices. Should I apply to this library? Um, should I friend request this person? Should I send this person a message to say I really enjoyed 
whatever it is. Just instincts in general. I, I, I've been burned many a time by not listening to my instincts. And every single time I say to myself, serves you right, Miriam, because when your instincts are telling you to go ahead and do something and you ignore them, you're basically ignoring your very essence. Trusting instincts is not always ideal for everybody, but for those who are more maybe spiritual or, or who, who believe in themselves like on a very deep level and who really think that they know what they're doing, go with your instinct always. Um, take advice, take criticism for sure, especially if it's constructive and it's coming from a good place. I've learned the hard way by not trusting my instincts and I've learned, um, I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten places because I've trusted my instincts. Um, so I think that's an important lesson. You know, okay, I'll give you a quick example. If you, if you want, you can add this in as well. You know, when, when you have a new baby and you buy all those books, that, you know, the, the mother and baby books, <laughs> and, 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 and every, single, every single book is telling you to do a different thing and, and, and you get so overwhelmed by all these choices and by all these criticisms and, all by, and by all these do's and don'ts. And eventually someone will come along and say, you're a mum, you know best. You trust those instincts of yours. Just go with the flow Trust those instincts. And the same applies to music. It's coming from such a deep place. It's such a big part of you as a person. Um, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like you're, you know, like birthing this music, so to speak. Hmm. Trust those instincts because that music is your baby. And and if somebody doesn't like it or if it doesn't get into a library that you hoped it would or, or whatever it is, put it aside. Try to use it somewhere else. But go with those instincts. <laughs> That analogy is so great because people without kids will be like, yeah, I kind of understand that. People with kids are like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. People, kids and dogs, dog training books are the same. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, that actually popped into my head just before you called. I was like, if you ask me why, you know, what's my lesson to leave with, um, I'm going to use that analogy. I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad it did. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much once again for being on the on the show, Miriam. That's really, I think it'd be really inspiring for people to hear someone at a, at a, you know, the level that's perhaps just one step ahead of them. They know exactly kind of where to go. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me. Great. Take care. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, leave me a review and share the link with your friends. One last thing before you go, I also have a closed Facebook group for composers that's dedicated to helping you learn all about composing and producing for Moving Image. It's a growing community and a safe place to ask questions or to get advice on all aspects of music for media, either directly from me or from other musicians in the group. Just visit soundtrack.academy slash Facebook group to join. I'll see you in there.